how you're doing tonight? Come on, how are you doing? Yes, we're ready to party. Come on, we're here. Someone else is looking after our children and our husbands. Come on, this is our moment to relax. We're going to have a great time. And I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, Mel, why don't you just stand up and give everyone a wave. This is my beautiful friend Mel. She has come up from Sydney with me. Life is so much better together, right? It's always good to have a friend with you. And I'm just looking forward to getting to know all of you ladies over the weekend. And I already feel like I'm making a bunch of new friends. And Pastor Susie, I want to thank you for the honor of this invitation. And your kindness has just touched my heart. You have this extraordinary gift of just making people feel at ease. And there's a generosity about you that is just so warming and a bigness in capacity that I think we're just seeing a glimpse of. There's just so much in you. You're amazing. Thank you for taking the time to dream this and to seek God for us and all these details. I love all the gifts. Has anyone else been like surrounded or given a bounty of gifts? Like how big are those gift bags? I haven't even had chance to have a look in mine yet. They're so full and this is beautiful, right? Everyone lift up your little name tag. Let it sparkle. See, this would be a good selfie, all the little sparkles going. So thank you. Let, why don't we take a moment just to thank Pastor Susie and Peter and the team for all of this, the worship, the dancing, all the gifts. It's amazing. Um, and I've got a few pictures to show you. Oh, there we go. This man is the love of my life. This is my husband. Apart from Jesus, yeah, he deserves a round of applause. He's married to me. Come on. He puts up with a lot. Aside from Jesus, he is the best thing that ever happened to me. And Andrew and I, we're part of the team at C3 Oxford Falls with Pastor Phil Pringle, which is on the northern beaches of Sydney, which I think just like living here in Brisbane, it's pretty hard to take. You know, so much sunshine and good things to do. And yeah, so we travel, we're evangelists, and this is him. We had a little airport rendezvous a couple of weeks ago. So this is my handsome husband, and we have two sons. And oh, there's my boy. Samuel is the one with the guns. He's 14 years old. And that's my son, Johnny, with him. He's 11. And um, I was tearing, telling Marianne in the car, actually, Samuel went from little boy to like man-child overnight. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Any mothers of boys? I remember like saying goodbye to him in Sydney and I was flying to Cambodia and I said, was talking on the phone to him in Sydney and on the phone he sounded like this. He was like, bye mummy, love you. That high-pitched little squeaky boy voice. By the time I landed in Singapore, eight hours later, um, he got on the phone and he said, hello, mom, I just shaved. True story. It was like, put, Aunt, put your dad on the phone. He had just shaved. And apparently he'd had like the little fluffy, he will hate me telling you this, bum fluffy. And Andrew was like, hadn't you noticed how hairy he was? And I was like, no, in my mind, he's a newborn. Like, what are you talking about? And this little guy, uh, Johnny, is 11. He's not so little. 
And so he's on the cusp. He alternates between being too cool for school and not wanting to be near me when his friends are around to pretending to be a puppy and snuggle on my lap and wanting me to give him a belly scratch when none of his friends are around. So long may that continue. So that's my boys. And yeah, they're at home with their dad this weekend, having a boys weekend. I normally make lots of meals for them, but this time I thought, you know what, they're gonna eat KFC anyway, so why do I even bother? I'm just giving myself the time off. Anyone here and you have more than two children? Just give me a wave. Oh, I have, wow, look at all, wow, you are prolific reproducers, my. I was looking after my friend's kids this week, so I had four boys, and my gosh, it was next level. So anyone, four children or above, wow, you guys, that's like drowning in a sea of children and reaching out for help, but someone throws you another baby. You're like, what? No. Okay. Do you know, there are women here today, and you are believing to have children, and tomorrow, we're going to pray. Because I just feel right now the presence of God and there are women and you've been desiring that for a long time and God is going to give you what has been impossible in your own strength. That's just a little teaser for tomorrow, so make sure you come. But tonight I just wanted to talk with you about one simple choice, a choice that can change everything. Because you know our lives are more about us than we actually realise. It's easy to kind of feel like our lives are out of control. Does anyone feel like things are a bit hectic? I know I felt like things were hectic this week when I had four or five boys in my house and a whole bunch of stuff going on. And it's so easy to think there's so much that's out of my control. But really, when we think about it, the course that our lives take is, actually comes down to our own choices. And maybe if you're here and you're feeling like there is so much out of control and and I don't have a choice, well, I've got some really good news for you because God um, has come to heal our hearts and he has the ability to give us our power back, to put us in the driving seat of our lives once again. You know, maybe you're wondering what the connection between the healing of a heart and having our power come back to us is. Well, it says in Proverbs 4 and verse 23, give me a wave if you know this verse. It's a very famous one. Anyone know Proverbs 4, 23? It says, guard your heart because out of your heart, all the issues of life flow. And see, that is the truth. It basically works like this. See, the heart is at the center of our feelings and our belief systems. The way we feel and what we believe in our heart determines not only what we think about, but also the way we feel about what we're thinking about. And the combination of those two things together, our thoughts and our feelings, determine our perspective, the way that we see ourselves and our lives and the way we respond to things. And it's because of our perspective that we make choices that determine, determines our behavior and the way that our lives look. So if we follow that back to the beginning, the origin of our choices is actually the state of our heart, what is going on in our heart. And if you are here and you're feeling like your heart is broken, like you don't have a choice and things are hopeless, well, the good news is that 
Jesus came for the specific purpose of healing broken hearts and setting prisoners free, setting us free from those prisons of bad choices and giving us the ability to take our power back. So we are going to just travel back in time tonight, way back to the beginning of time and the origin of choice. We're going to look at the world's very first bad choice. So are you ready for some time travel with me tonight? Come on. You ready? All right. We're going to teleport back to the Garden of Eden. Thank you so much, Peter, for setting it up so well. I want you to welcome Mel to the stage. Is anyone familiar with the Garden of Eden? Yes, there was a garden just like this. There was a tree, a.k.a. Mel. Give her a round of applause. It had some fruit on it. There was a woman called Eve. There was also a snake who was the devil, but he is not here tonight, let me tell you. Ladies, he took one look at you and he said, that's it, I am out of here. Those ladies are fierce. I do not want to be around them. But this is how it went down in the Garden of Eden. Like maybe you're wondering why Eve made that choice to eat the apple all those years ago. And let me just put your mind at rest, she was not premenstrual. She was not stomping around in the garden in a rampage saying, what is with all the vegetables in this place? Does anyone think they would go a bit crazy surrounded by vegetables? Come on, where is all the chocolate? That's it. I'm going to eat that apple. No, that is not how it went down. See, Eve was a good person. Eve had pure intentions. Eve was without sin, yet a good person with very pure intentions made a very bad choice. Why? Because her heart was hurt. So if we look at exactly what went down in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2 verse, I think it's around verse 18, verse 18, this is what the enemy says to her. He says, Eve. Did God say that you could eat anything in the garden? And she, said, and she said, God says we can have whatever we want except for that apple, that, the fruit of that tree. And the serpent said to her, Eve, did God really say that? You can't trust God. He just knows if you don't eat the fruit from that tree, you will be like him, knowing good from evil. In that one little conversation, the devil did two things. First of all, he undermined God's character in Eve's eyes. He caused her to think that she could not trust him. He also undermined her own personal value, made her think who she was right in that moment wasn't quite enough, that there was something that she was missing out on, that she was good but not great. She was a bit inadequate. See, Eve was not responsible for the presence of evil in the Garden of Eden all of, that, all of those years ago. She was not responsible for the serpent's actions. We are not responsible for the presence of evil in the world, ladies. There was only one thing that Eve was responsible for, and that was guarding her heart, remaining obedient to God. So in the presence of evil... What did Eve do? Did she guard her heart? 
Or did she listen to that voice of the devil and allow it to lead her away from God? You know, Eve did what so many of us do in the presence of evil. Instead of remaining obedient to God and guarding her heart, she listened to the woundedness of her heart. She began to reach for the one thing that wasn't in her control. But in order to do that, she had to lay down the one thing that was in her control, her obedience to God. She took hold of that apple, that thing that she thought would make her feel so much better. Have you ever been there, ladies, that relationship? If I can just have that, I'm going to feel so much better. If I can just have that extra glass of wine, if I can just have those shoes, if I can just eat that packet of Tim Tams, whatever it is, it's going to make me feel so much better. But when you do it, she just felt so much worse. Let's thank the tree. Thank you, Mel. The moment it says that she ate that fruit, the first thing that changed was the way that she saw herself. It says that her eyes were opened. She now looked at herself through eyes of shame. Has anyone felt that feeling before? That feeling of guilt and hopelessness that makes us feel trapped. I'm such a bad person but I can't stop doing this thing. It's making me feel terrible, but I I can't stop. This is hopeless. I'm out of control. Out of her mouth, she began to speak a new language, the language of the victim, the language of blame. It's not my fault. The devil made me do it, right? Come on, ladies. Anyone with me in this? It's not my fault. So many excuses and reasons why. And, you know, we have been echoing those same sentiments, following those same destructive cycles ever since. Good people making bad choices, feeling ashamed and helpless and trapped because we are following our damaged hearts instead of guarding our hearts and following God. But you know, the good news is we are not helpless. Come on, ladies, we are not helpless. We have not been created in the image and likeness of our bad choices. No, we have not been created in the image and likeness of anybody else's bad choices or their bad plan for our life. Evil is real, but we were not created in the image and likeness of evil. Oh, come on, ladies, we were created in the image and likeness of an almighty, all-powerful God. That is who we are. And that other stuff does not change who we are, and it does not change the way God sees us. See, God did not leave Adam and Eve alone, hiding and ashamed. He came to them like he comes to each one of us personally to deliver this precious gift that he has for us, the gift of his grace, his love for us that does not fail, that will ever, never end, and that does not change. His mercy that is new for us every single day. It does not matter how many mistakes we make. It does not matter how many times we mess up. All we need to do is say, God, thank you. I'm trusting in your mercy. Forgive me. And and I believe that your mercy is new and it is new for us every day. His forgiveness 
that sets us free from the power of our past and every bad choice and empowers us to make good choices in the future. Oh, this is good news, ladies. This is the best possible news any person can receive. God loves us and we are not helpless. He has given each one of us a very precious and powerful gift that not even the devil can take from us. And it is a free will, the power to choose. Who will I listen to? Who's going to live in my heart? And the decision that we each need to make, because you know what, maybe you're here and you're feeling like, yeah, that's great, Janine, but you don't know how much of a mess my life is in. You don't know how complicated it is. You don't know how impossible it seems for me. You know, we don't have to do everything. God is so much bigger than all of, all of that. The one thing we need to do, and it's only one choice that changes everything. And come on, we can do one thing, right? That's easy for us, one thing. And that one choice is simply to allow Christ to come into our heart so that we can receive that free gift of his grace and his forgiveness. So ladies, I want to share with you just how I came to that moment in my life and the impact of that one choice on my life. Because we can come to events like this and look around and think everybody else has got it together and nobody else would understand. But you know, underneath our skin, we are not that different. Our situations, our, the context of our lives might be different, but the issues that our hearts face, they're the same. We have so much more in common that we have that separates us. And God is here for each one of us. So I just want to share some of my story with you. And then I'm going to give you the choice, the opportunity to make the choice that I made. Pastor Susie needed to make this choice. Mel needed to make this choice. We're all the same. We all need Jesus. So my story goes like this. I'm one of five girls. I grew up on a dairy farm in, um, on the south coast of New South Wales. And I've got a mum and dad and they're beautiful people. And I grew up going to quite a traditional church. When I was eight years old, I was at a children's camp. And while I was there, I was sexually abused by a group of the male leaders. And I told my cabin leader what had happened. And she said to me that I, it was my fault, that at the age of eight, I was a little flirt and I deserved what happened to me. Now, clearly, that is not the truth. Clearly, that was never God's intention. And, you know, in a room of women this size, I know that there will be women and that will actually be a story that is similar to yours. Other women, and maybe that's not your precise story, but there are other things that have happened to you, similar or maybe a bit different, but equally as impacting on your heart. And, you know, I was at a Christian children's camp. They were Christian leaders. And when I was praying about this this afternoon, I was thinking... You know, I carried this burden of guilt for such a long time, thinking, why was I there at that time? What was it about me? Maybe I was a little flirt. Maybe it was me that bought, bought it on myself. But, you know, that is a lie. Eve was in the Garden of Eden when the presence of evil came to her. It was not your fault. You were not just in the wrong place at the wrong time. You didn't bring it on yourself. There was nothing about your behavior 
and you've been carrying a burden of guilt that does not belong to you. You didn't want it. You didn't like it. You didn't ask for it. And it's enough of that lie. It's time to lift that burden and let the healing of God come into your spirit. And just like each one of us, I had a choice to make. When that presence of evil came to me, what would I do? Would I guard my heart and keep listening to God and believe what God said about me and what my life was like? Or would I follow my damaged heart and allow my damaged heart to lead me away from God? And that's exactly what happened. By my late teens, I had stopped going to church, left home, and I was actually living overseas and completely like quite estranged from my family. I had been studying at the University of Miami in the USA and then finished my degree there. And so I decided that I would go traveling. And I bought a one-way ticket to Caracas in Venezuela. And my plan was to go hitchhiking with some friends through Central America and then back up through Mexico. And my whole life, you know, I believed in God. I couldn't deny his existence, but I just couldn't accept him in that way that he'd been presented to me as a child. So I'd been exploring lots of different religions and in particular Buddhism and then I became very involved with the Hare Krishnas. And what I've really loved about the Hare Krishnas was that they believed everything. They were so embracing of there are many gods and you can worship whatever god you like in whatever way that you like and for my hurt heart that's just sounded amazing like why can't we all just be friends and love each other and whatever you want to believe as long as you're not hurting anyone that is fine but you know when i had those alone moments when i really thought deeply about all of it it really didn't make sense there were so many contradictions in what people were telling me and nobody could ever give me answers that would really satisfy me so one time this woman had returned from india and she was very high up in the hari krishna church and so they sat me down with her and she was going to sort me out and, you know, set me straight. And so I could really give my heart over to being a, a Hare Krishna. And I said to her, look, you believe that there are many divine scriptures and that the Bible is one of those divine scriptures. And I believe the same thing. I believe that the Bible is divinely inspired. So how about we use that text as the basis for our discussion? And she said, okay, she was agreeable to that. And I said to her, you believe that there are many gods and we can worship as many of them as we like in whatever way that we like. But the Bible says that there is only one God. It goes on to say that he is also a jealous God and he specifically commanded we should have no other gods but him. And when I said that, she looked really irritated. And she said to me, Janine, Come on, you need to stop being so uptight. You need to open your mind. So I was like, right, I'm really trying here. I'm trying to open my mind. Okay, my mind is open. But even with an open mind, there is this one question that is just the bottom line for me. See, you say that there are many pathways to God, but the Bible it says there's only one pathway, that Jesus Christ, God's only son, he came to earth, he lived a life that was without sin, and he died on a cross to take away the sin of mankind. 
and that it's only through Jesus that our relationship with God can be restored. And friends, when I mentioned the name Jesus and the power of what he had done on the, he has done on the cross, that woman's demeanor changed completely. I saw a presence flash beneath her eyes. She looked at me with contempt and she spat out these words. I am sick of your perverse Christian fascination with a dead Jew. Get out. I was immediately escorted out of the Hare Krishna temple and asked never to come back again. Whoa, my head was spinning, but I did not mind. That lady was really creepy. She really freaked me out. I didn't want to go back. And inside my heart, something was like twitching, like something inside me was saying, Janine, it's all about Jesus. Been so hurt and so confused for so long, but Janine, it's all about Jesus. Shortly after that time, I flew down to Caracas in Venezuela, and I just want to show you just a couple of pictures. This is 1993. Give me a wave if you were even born in 1993, such a long time ago. Right, well, I don't know. I thought I was paying you a compliment. Yes. Okay, this is before cell phones. It is before selfies. So please be gracious with these photos. They were taken on a random, remember disposable cameras? Yeah, when I remembered. I know. There are many of you who do not remember them. Okay, so this is driving down uh, from... Oh, Caracas, from the airport into the city. I just want to let you know, as soon as I exited the airport in, in Caracas, someone jumped up, pulled the earrings out of my ears, ripped the gold chain off my neck. That should have been a sign. Anyway, driving into the city, this is, the next one is the first, the place that we stayed in Caracas, not very sanitary, as you can see. That's my friend Kirsty. But we were still clean enough the next day, next photo, to sneak up into the rooftop pool of the Caracas Hilton. So this is day one. Then we were kicked out when they realized we were not staying there. The next day we started hitchhiking. And so we hitchhiked through um, Panama and all of those Central American nations and we'll just scroll through. We just met people and stayed with different people. Sometimes we had to sleep on the beach or this is actually in a bar. Um, next one, these gentlemen were a whole lot of fun. Let's keep moving and moving. Eventually, we made our way to a little town on the coast of Costa Rica, the Caribbean coast that bordered with Nicaragua. And we met some guys. They said we could stay with them. And this is a picture of um, standing on the cabin, looking out, and you can see the ocean in the distance. And it was like this beautiful garden of Eden Oasis, amazing. And then this next slide, we were about five kilometers from a little fishing village called Puerto Viejo. So this is Dan, one of the guys we were staying with, and this is the track, five kilometers of this kind of track to a fishing village. And we're just gonna hold it on that picture. So I was staying with these guys and a couple of my girlfriends. Um, the guys, Dan and Carl, were Canadians. 
and they, there were lots of drugs and lots of parties and lots of drugs at the parties, but it soon became apparent that Dan and Carl were more than just using drugs, they were actually dealing drugs, that was their livelihood. And they weren't allowed back into Canada, they weren't allowed to enter the United States, they were wanted in both those places on drug charges. I didn't ever take drugs, I didn't ever sell drugs, I did need to make some money, so I started a little business baking muffins. And yep, you might think that's strange, but it was actually a killer business idea. I was continually surrounded by people with the munchies. Demand for muffins was off the charts. I remember one night after being there for maybe three or four weeks, we had gone into Puerto Viejo one evening and there was a telephone there and I thought, you know what, I'm going to call one of my sisters because I hadn't been in touch with my family for, for months. And the last conversation I'd had with my dad before I left Miami was an argument. He told me to come home and I told him that I was old enough to look after myself, I'd do what I'd want and I hung the phone up on him. So I called my sister because I didn't want to talk with my parents and my sister said to me, Janine, can you please call dad? Janine, he's so worried about you. He wakes up every night crying. Janine, he's having nightmares. Can you please just call him, let him hear your voice and let him know that you're okay? But I couldn't call my dad because I didn't want to have another fight. But I was consumed with guilt. So I made a choice to try and silence my guilt by drinking shots of tequila. Not a very good idea. I don't know if you've ever been in that place. And I had never really drunk alcohol before. I wasn't eating a lot at the time. So it didn't take many shots of tequila before I could hardly stand up anymore. And I just remember thinking, you know what, I'm just going to get down here on the ground where things are a little bit more stable and, and it's cooler. And while I was on the ground, I was having the most profound revelations. Like, why do people walk around on two legs when crawling around on your hands and knees through the dirt is so much more fun? And do you know it was fun for like two minutes until the whole world began to spin and waves of nausea began to wash over me and I couldn't stop crying. <laughs> I'm such a bad person. And vomiting. It was right then that my friends decided to leave me. I kind of understood why. You know, crying, that's not fun, right? Nobody likes the crier, especially when she's vomiting all over your shoes. And I just remember thinking, what is it about the friends who give you the shots of tequila that make you drunk? And then they no longer want to be your friend when you actually are drunk, when you really need them. And I thought, okay, I've got to get it together. I've got to get out of here. And I remember getting off, up off the ground and realizing that everything still worked, my body still worked, my brain still worked, but just at a much slower pace. Has anyone ever been in that place? Like, whoa, I've got fingers. Wow, they're amazing. And I had to make my way five kilometers through this jungle in the pitch black. Dan decided that he would come with me. 
So we're walking through this jungle and I'm stumbling along and he's kind of holding me and I'm thinking, is this a good choice? What do I know about Dan? He's a drug dealer. He can't enter the US or Canada because he's wanted on those places in drug charges. And I remember thinking this is not a good idea, feeling so uneasy. And then Dan began to like grab me in a really rough way. And I felt this fear um, come into my heart. And Dan said, come on, let's just go into the bushes. And I said, Dan, I don't want to go into the bushes with you. And he said, what do you think I'm going to do? Do you think I'm going to rape you? And I just felt this fear like screaming from my heart. I, it was so paralyzing. And I said, Dan, please just leave me alone. I don't want to go with you. And he said, Janine, you can hardly walk. Where are you going to go? Janine, if you scream, who is going to hear you? And he grabbed me and he pulled me to the ground into the bushes. But I remember just screaming. And I don't even know if it was one of those screams that was audible or if it was just one of those silent screams. All I know that everything within me was screaming out the name, Jesus! Immediately, there was a blinding yellow light. And it wasn't an angelic visitation. It was actually the headlights of a truck. And I just want you to look again at that track, if you can even see a track. How does a truck get there? I'd never seen a motorbike on that track, let alone a truck. A guy jumped out of the truck and said, what's going on here? He pulled Dan off me, lifted me up, threw me into the back of his truck, drove me to the cabin. He threw me into bed and then he sat on the porch of the cabin until my friends arrived the next morning. I don't want to add, I can't add anything to that. I don't know if that man was an angel. I don't know if he was just a man there at the right place at the right time. All I know is I cried out to Jesus and heaven intervened in my world. Shortly after that time, I was with Dan actually. I'd gone to buy flour, of all things, to make some muffins. Dan asked me to come with him. He needed to do a deal with a guy. It turned out to be a drug deal. It went really wrong. The guy he was doing the drug deal with was not only one of the main suppliers of drugs out, out of Nicaragua, he was one of the main suppliers of, of women into Nicaragua. Not sure if you know much about that nation, especially in 1993, there was a civil war happening in Nicaragua. They were looking for women to service the, the military men. I was a young girl in the middle of nowhere. My parents had no idea where I was. Was it so vulnerable? And I remember Dan saying to me, Janine, he pulled me out of the chair and he said, Janine, get out of here, just run. He gave me one bag of cocaine because he said, you know what, if the police catch us, it's just going to look better if we've got one each. So I said, okay, and took the bag of cocaine and I'm running through this jungle. Eventually, Dan caught up with me and told me that the guy he'd done the deal with had wanted to buy me and include me in the deal. And I just remember running through this jungle with a bag of cocaine hearing there's a guy that wants to buy me and sell me to the Nicaraguan army, thinking, how did I get here? Come on, ladies, how did I get here? I grew up on a dairy farm on the south coast with a mum and dad who loved me, singing, yes, Jesus loves me in Sunday school. How did I get here? How has my life come to this? Maybe you know how that feels. 
circumstances might be a little bit different, but you know what it is to look at your life right now and think, how has it come to this? And when I reflected, I realized it was just one little choice. Another little choice didn't give them much thought, but those little choices led me to that place of extreme danger in my life. The next day, I flew to Cancun in Mexico. I can have the worship team come back. Eventually made my way back to Sydney in Australia and started my career. And, you know, look on the outside, you probably would have thought I had it all together. I had a great job. I had a nice apartment, nice clothes, all the things I thought should make me happy. The only problem was none of them did. Those things, they can never make us truly happy. Our identity can never come from those things. I felt like I was on a treadmill. I was exhausted chasing after all this stuff, but I was getting absolutely nowhere. I suffered with depression. I was finding it hard to leave the house. I was so anxious. So medication for depression. But when I think back to those times, I realized that It wasn't medication that I needed. What I truly needed was hope. Hope that my life could be different. Hope that things could change. Hope that maybe there was something that could ease this pain, take away this pain and this voice of guilt in my life. You know, my moment of change, that one moment that changed everything for me, happened one month before my 24th birthday almost 20 years ago now. It happened when I was asleep. Initially, I had this dream. And as crazy as it might sound, in my dream, I was having a conversation with the devil. And he wasn't that scary horror movie version of himself. He wasn't the cute Halloween guy with the pitchfork. He was more just a presence, but one that I recognized immediately. He was very cold and distant, but he was also very empathetic. I had never felt so understood. And he said to me, Janine, you are messed up. Your mind is in torment. Janine, the reason you are so messed up is because you're sitting on the fence. Your whole life you have believed in God. And let's not kid each other. We both know that God is real. Even Satan will not deny the reality of God. He said, Janine, in order for you to have any peace in your heart, what you need to do is get down off that fence and decide once and for all just who it is you're going to live for. Well, that is some good advice from the Prince of Darkness, right? Who knew? Satan knows a thing or two. See, we call Satan a liar and he is the father of lies. But more precisely, the Bible calls him a deceiver. And the difference between a lie and a deception is that a deception always contains an element of truth. That's the hook. It's the bait. And once Satan spoke out those words that resonated as truth in my heart, he had my attention and he had me just where he wanted me. He went on to say, Janine, if you choose to live for me, I can guarantee that you will be wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. You will be successful in your career. And Janine, I am more than happy for you to keep that eating disorder. 
I'm more than happy for you to remain depressed. You don't have to change a thing. I thought, you know what? That sounds good to me. I was like, sold. I gave my heart to the devil. I asked Satan to come into my heart. What happened next happened in just a moment. I had darkness like an ice cold sword plunge into my heart. The chill of it took my breath away. But without even thinking, I sat bolt upright in my bed and I was screaming out the name, Jesus! Immediately I was awake and aware of what I'd done and what I needed to do to make it right. I got out of my bed, I got on my knees and I prayed. I asked Jesus to come and forgive me. I asked him to come and live in my heart. And ladies, that one moment, that one choice to ask Christ into my heart, it is the choice that changed everything for me. His presence, even though 25 years I'd ignored him, his presence did not hesitate. The moment I called out to Christ, he was there. The moment that I asked him to come into my heart, even though I just asked the devil into my heart, Jesus came and the devil left In that moment that the devil had intended for my destruction, it became the moment of my salvation. Ladies, I am a different woman because of that one moment. That one moment has been the moment where my life has been transformed from that point on. Friend, that is God's love for us. That is the power of Christ, what he's already done for us on the cross. It does not matter what we do. It does not matter what has happened to us, what we've seen or experienced, what has been done to us or spoken over our lives. It does not matter how far away from God we feel we are, how far away from God that we've run. All it ever takes to come back to him is one word, Jesus. You know, when I reflect on that moment, I realize that there were no obstacles to my salvation my bad behavior, my bad choices, my shame, the guilt, all of the terrible things that I'd done. Not even Satan himself was an obstacle for Christ. The single obstacle was my free will. All I had to do was ask him and straight away he entered. Straight away my life began to change. And you know, there are women here And you may not be running through the Costa Rican jungle with a bag of cocaine. I hope you never are. But you look at your life now. You know what it is to think, how did I get here? How did my life come to this? Women here and you feel like the great pretender. On the outside, you're desperately trying to hold it all together. But on the inside, everything is falling apart. You're thinking if people really knew me, they'd reject me. They really knew who I was. Other women here and you are desperate for hope, desperate to know that your life can change, that this voice of guilt will leave you, not just in this moment, but for all eternity. That this pain in your heart that you've been carrying for so long, that it can come to an end, that that Jesus can bring healing into your world. There are women here and you are a good person. You are a wonderful person. You are not living for the devil. 
The only problem is you're not living for God either. You're sitting on the fence. You're in that place where you one foot in, one foot out. You're one way with your friends, one way with your colleagues, one way on Facebook, another way in church. Friend, that is the devil's playground. You know that you need something to shift. You know that you need something to change. You cannot keep going on like this. Behaviors that are controlling you. Things that started out and you felt like, yeah, I've got this under control. But now that thing has got a control over your life. You're out of control right now. And all it takes is one moment, one choice to say, you know what? I'm getting down off this fence. I'm declaring my colors. And Jesus, it's your voice that I want to hear loudest. It's your life that I want to live. And there are other women here. And you are allowing people to treat you in a really terrible way because you see yourself in a really terrible way. And I know what that feels like. That's the zone that I lived in for such a long time, making bad choices and bad choices because I saw myself in such a bad way, letting people just kick me around and treat me like dirt. You know, the Spirit of God is here because He wants to let you know that you are not dirt. You are His masterpiece. You are a precious jewel. And there is nothing that can ever separate you from God's love. All it takes is one moment, one choice to allow that healing to come and change the way you see yourself. And everything else is going to change from there. So ladies, why don't we just take a moment just to bow our heads and close our eyes. You know, there's nothing magic about this moment. Closing our head, bowing our eyes, all it does is allow some of the distractions to be removed. And this thoughts of our soul to become illuminated. And I just want every person here, just right at the beginning of conference, just to ask this question of your heart. Am I connected to God? Is Jesus living in my heart? That's an honest question. You know, the question is not, do I believe in God? Even the devil believes in God. It's not, am I a good person? Do I give to charity? Do I pray? Do I go to church? Because you know what, ladies, I grew up in church. I was a leader in a youth ministry, but I did not know who Christ was. He wasn't living in my heart. And because of that, my whole world got so messed up. So right now, just ask this question of your heart. Every head bowed and all eyes closed. Is Jesus living in my heart? You know, Jesus is going to speak to you straight away because he loves you. He's trying to get your attention. Right now, maybe you're feeling your heart race. You might be feeling a bit emotional. Some of you might feel like just a stirring in your spirit. That's Jesus. Right now, he's talking to you. And if you cannot honestly answer yes, if Christ is not number one in your heart, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand where you're seated. Or maybe you've once known Jesus personally, but right now he's not number one in your heart. Maybe it's another relationship that's taken that number one place. Maybe it's an offense, a hurt that has taken over your heart and you know you've been following that hurt heart instead of guarding your heart, allowing Jesus in and following him. Maybe it's a controlling behavior. Maybe it's an addiction, something that's got control of you. It's taken that number one place. Well, I want you to raise your hand in just a moment as well. Or if you're here and when you think about eternity, the most important question, what's going to happen to me? after I die? 
and fear and insecurity enter your heart, well, I want you to raise your hand as well and we're going to pray. And you will leave here tonight with an assurance that your eternity is in heaven with the God who loves you beyond your comprehension. So ladies, if you're here in any of those areas, just as I count to three, with every head bowed and all eyes closed, I just want you to raise your hand where you're seated. If you don't know Jesus personally, but you would like to know him personally, that's one. Or if Jesus has been in your heart, he's been there number one before, but right now he's not number one and you would like to make him number one again, that is two. Or if you would like an assurance of your salvation, three. All over this place from the front to back, left to right, just lift your hand nice and high. I'll see it and then you can put it down. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, darling. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Right there at the back, I see you. I see you over here. This is amazing. Who else is there saying, that's me? You know what? I can't leave this place the way I entered. I need something to shift. You know, I just really sensed in my spirit when I was coming here tonight that there would be like a battle going on. And the battle is for our souls. You know, the devil comes to us and he never does it in the form of... the Halloween guy or the scary movie guy. He's just that voice that comes to us in moments just like this. And he says, you don't have to do that. You're a good person or you can do it later. Do it in your bedroom. Do it when you get home. But you know what? You cannot listen to that voice. The devil is real. His agenda is to rob. It is to kill. It's to bring destruction. It is only Jesus Christ who comes to bring us life and life in its abundance. And right now he is knocking on the door of so many women's hearts. He has brought you here for a reason because enough is enough. Enough of the compromise. He's not angry. Enough sitting on the fence. He loves you. All it takes for your whole world to change is simply to raise your hand and say, you know what? I choose Jesus. Where are those women? Just lift your hand nice and high right now. And you know that Jesus is talking to you nice and high. The battle is real, but Jesus has already won the victory. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you, darling. Thank you. So many hands. Ladies, this is amazing. Would you just look up at me for just a moment? Thank you so much, ladies. What a pleasure it has been being with you tonight. And I'm really looking forward to our day tomorrow. So many good things are going to happen. But you know what? This is the greatest moment. And there were just too many women in that moment who raised their hands for me to come and find you later and pray with you later. So what I would love us to do is just stand to our feet. Can you do that? Just stand to your feet. And if you raised your hand at any time during that altar call, that response time, I just want you to be brave and courageous and just make your way out of your seat. You can just leave your bag wherever it is. Just say, excuse me, and just make your way out of your seat and come to the front so that I can shake your hand and pray with you personally. You know, maybe you came with a friend or with a family member. Why don't you turn to them and just say, would you like to go to the front? Because I'll go with you. Because I know this is a brave thing to do, walking out here in front of all these ladies. So we shouldn't have to do this on our own. So come on, why don't we do that? Why don't we take a moment, just turn to the person that we're seated next to and say, would you like to come to the front because I'll go with you? Come on, ladies, let's not make assumptions about anyone's eternity tonight. It's not going to be weird, I promise, because they're expecting you to do it. Come on, and why don't you come? If you raised your hand or if you didn't but you want to respond, 
If you're coming because a friend has asked you, ladies at the back who raised your hands, would you be brave and come? I would really love to pray with you personally. You know, there's something very powerful about this moment. Stepping out of our seat, it's kind of symbolic that we're stepping away from the past, coming to the altar, into the incredible future that God has for us. You know, the Word of God tells us, Jesus says that if we confess Him before men and women, that He will also confess us before His Father in heaven. This is such a powerful moment. Come on, let's step forward and let's make room for more beautiful ladies to come. Incredible. So ladies, what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray a line of this prayer and I would love it if you would pray it after me. This is a salvation prayer. We're praying it to God. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes and pray this after me. Dear God, come on, let's pray this with some passion. Dear God, Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to pay the price for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And you're my savior. Come into my heart. Forgive me. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to live every day in your presence. Jesus, thank you that I am saved. Let me pray for you right now. God, I thank you for these incredible women who stand upon this altar. Lord, I thank you that right now the power of sin and death, it is broken over their lives once and for all. Lord, this is a new day. God, I thank you right now that the power of your Holy Spirit is filling them and touching every life. God, I thank you that the door is closed so firmly on the past. God, these women are stepping into the future that you have for them uncontained and unrestricted. God, I thank you that the voices of the past, that voice of guilt and that voice of shame, it is bound and broken in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that it's your purpose and your potential that you're calling forth from every life. God, I thank you that it is the exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything we can ask, dream, or even imagine purpose that you have for their life. God, that you are going to knock the socks off every single one of them with blessing and restoration. And God, right now I declare hope, I declare faith, And I declare freedom in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that it truly is a new day. And that even as these women stand here at the front, that there are sicknesses that are lifting from their bodies. That the familiar ways of thinking and the entrenched patterns of thinking of the past, they're gone. Because these women see themselves the way that heaven sees them. And they are stepping into God's purpose for them. Ladies, would you just lift your hands to God? It might feel a little bit strange, but because right now I just say you're receiving a gift from heaven. It's that gift of grace. Even if you're in your seats and you didn't come to the front, God's grace is sufficient for us. I see women right now just lifting those burdens of shame, women who've been carrying condemnation and guilt, and those two things do not come from God. 
What God gives us are his grace, his mercy, love and forgiveness that are in inexhaustible supply. We can never run out. So Holy Spirit, I thank you for this work that your grace is doing in every life. I thank you that you are unveiling promises and just delivering hope into their spirits. God, I rebuke the power of shame in Jesus' name. I stand in the established victory of Christ and in the authority of his name and I rebuke shame right now. I command it to shift off their thinking, shift out of their vision, shift out of their ears. And I speak clarity of purpose and hope for the future into each one. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, Jesus. Sweetheart, God wants you to know that he sees you. And there's been a burden that you've been carrying for such a long time for family and different issues, waiting for resolution. And you've become weary in that wait. But God wants you to know that breakthrough is coming and that breakthrough hasn't come from people. It's coming from him. You're going to look and you're going to see a miracle and you will have no other explanation than the God of heaven has entered into your world. You've made room for God in your life and he is going to steal the show. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. A beautiful daughter, you are anointed. And from this moment, God is saying enough is enough. Do not entertain the voice of doubt. Do not entertain the voice of guilt and condemnation. They are not yours. They were never yours. Somebody put them on you. It was an agenda of the enemy, but in the presence of evil, you are one who in this moment has decided to guard your heart and follow God. You're following God away from the past. And the past is that old way of thinking. You've been seeing yourself wrong. You are a mighty woman of God. You are a warrior. You are going to go to places and you're going to see things that nobody else has seen. And you're going to take territory from, from the devil for the kingdom of God. Places that even strong men are afraid to go. You're not afraid because you know whose strength you're walking in. And it's the spirit of God that's anointed you to do this and who is enabling you in this. And this healing that's taking place, even though the hurt didn't come from God, he's going to bring great good out of this because you've developed such an incredible empathy and love for people. You, like Jesus, are one who is moved with compassion. And that compassion causes you to rise up in faith and to reach and do things beyond your own ability. The word of God says, perfect love casts out all fear. And it's the love of God that is growing so immensely in your heart that you will become fearless because his love is so much greater than your fear. You're going to intervene for those who were forgotten, intervene for those who are broken and have been neglected. And the intervention of heaven is going to happen wherever you go. There is resource and provision for this. But in this season right now, it's a season of rest as God brings restoration and peace into your spirit and clarity into your heart. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for your anointing upon this beautiful daughter. Lord, I thank you that those whom the sun sets free, they are free indeed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Sweetheart, what's your name? Maxine. Beautiful Maxine. Ladies, will you just stretch your hands out to beautiful Maxine? You are so precious. This color on you, it's beautiful. And you are a jewel. You radiate divine glory. Just like a jewel reflects light, Maxine, you reflect the glory of God. There's this beautiful way about you. You love people. You're kind and you're sensitive. 
And that sensitivity is actually a gift from God. Sometimes it means you, you feel things more strongly so you can be hurt more deeply. But God right now is bringing healing to those hurt places of your heart. As you've trusted him, healing is come and he's even trusting you with greater, greater strength, greater anointing, greater capacity. You're gonna hear his voice with clarity. You'll be one who truly does know what it is to guard their heart. It doesn't mean to be standoffish. It just means that you hear the voice of God louder than anything else and his influence in your life is stronger than anything else. God wants you to know that the controlling, the things that have controlled you in the past, it's broken now. That cycle is broken. It's like a circuit breaker that's come from the Holy Spirit. He's just going to remind you, no, that's not who you are. Don't answer to that voice anymore. Jesus is not only the lover of your soul, Maxine, he is also the lifter of your head. And I see him just lifting you, just like that. Beautiful, just lifts your head. You have an anointing like Esther. You are a beauty queen. Oh my gosh, your eyes are melting my heart. You're so gorgeous. You will stand before kings and you will deliver the message of the king of kings. And because of who you are, those kings are going to listen to you and they're going to receive the message. They wouldn't listen to just anyone, but they'll listen to you, Maxine, because you're an anointed daughter of Almighty God. You were born for such a time as this. Your life isn't a coincidence. Nothing has been hidden from God. He loves you. He sees you. He's bringing correction to those places where injustice has been done. Yeah, he's turning it around. He loves you. So Jesus, I pray for that revelation of your love. Holy Spirit, I pray that you minister deeply into this precious young woman's heart, that you bring the best out of her life. Thank you that your anointing is upon her, God, and you are leading her into great things. Jesus, it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a big, big shout of praise because he's amazing. Wow, what an incredible night. What an incredible testimony. Can't imagine running through a jungle with a bag of cocaine on my shoulder.